I'm Josh Cooperman, and this is Convo by Design with a conversation that should have aired on the podcast almost three years ago. Seriously, I am not kidding about this. I found this episode while I was reorganizing folders, and I am really happy that I have an opportunity to share this with you. It is with the incomparable Bernardo Puccio. <laughs> So it's true. The following conversation was recently found on a drive in my studio, and this was recorded sometime around October 2019. Bernardo Puccio has been in design for over a half a century and has amazing stories to tell about the glory days of Hollywood, designing for his celebrity clientele and his activism with none other than Elizabeth Taylor. I'm so glad I found this. I'm sorry it didn't air sooner, but I'm glad we get to air it today, and I do hope you like it. A deep design dive with the iconic Bernardo Puccio, right after this. If you've been listening to Convo by Design for a while now, you have heard me tell you about Article. Great style. Really, it's as simple as that with Article. Things have been challenging for design professionals and their clients for, what, two years, two plus years now? Y you know this already. What you might not know is that it doesn't have to be if you're looking for exceptionally beautiful modern furniture. Article provides a simple and easy way to creating a beautiful modern space because Article works direct with their manufacturers on production of unique and stunning pieces. Then they work directly by providing this well-crafted design directly to you. This direct relationship means you aren't wondering where your furniture is and you're getting it for an incredible value. What could possibly be better than that? In many cases, the shipping is flat rate, which means no surprises right? Even more, their culture and service are rooted in their core values. Customer obsession, doing it differently, ownership mindset, winning together. If you're a designer, architect, or residential developer, you must check out their trade program. Discounts, special support, and exclusive perks. Article has the beautiful modern furniture you're looking for at an incredible price, at an incredible value, and you need to check them out. Check out article.com, or if you go to the show notes, there is a specific link which will take you, if you're in the trade, directly to their trade program. You have to see it to really believe it. Thank you, Article. We were talking a little bit before we started about uh, design in L.A. When did you start designing in Los Angeles? I arrived to California from Birmingham, Alabama in 1968. I arrived in the summer or June of 1968, and I knew immediately where I wanted to work as a designer. Um, there was a great department store, which is no longer in existence. It was Robinson's Downtown Los Angeles. It was a very big department store. It was number one at that time because we didn't have Neiman Marcus and other big department stores like that. And so I went down, I took two buses to get there, and I went in for an interview, and they hired me with my resume and my portfolio. And they were four designers, two women and two men. And I got the last position as a man to come in and go to work. And it was a very interesting, exciting adventure because coming to, from Birmingham, Alabama to Beverly Hills, California was quite a difference. You mean there wasn't a big design community in Birmingham at the time? 
There were, and they were, they were again, they were at the department stores. Um, there were not a lot of small interior designers. If they were, they weren't very big known, well known. So the department stores had, um, in their furniture department, a design studio. And so that's how I began my career. It's interesting too because that was a time when, when you when you went for design, home decor design. That's where you went. You went to the department store, and it was it was a mix and match. But they would put they would put your space together for you. But exactly, you, you, and you know most people in those days really could not in, afford an interior designer because they were very very expensive. So the department stores, if they were good department stores, they gave you that service free if you were going to be buying a lot of furniture and stuff like that. So they gave it to you as a free service. And um, that's how I started my career, is working at Robinson's downtown. And then after one year, I was so successful in that store, they fired the designer in the Beverly Hills store. And that was the store that I originally wanted to work for. They fired her and gave me the studio there. And that was the beginning of my career. It was like I went crazy. It was uh, every movie star, every celebrity came into that store in Robinson's Beverly Hills. I mean, it had the greatest trade, society people, and I got to know every one of them. I got to work with every one of them. And that's how my design career just shot off like crazy. So when did you, when did you go off on your own? When did, you, when did you open your own firm? Well, I worked for Robinson's in Beverly Hills for about five years. And then one day I got a call from uh, Dan Baker, who was uh, the assistant vice president for Cannell and Chafin. Cannell and Chafin was the finest design firm in California. It was downtown on Wilshire in Vermont. And um, they were the most reputable, finest, old world design company in the state. And they called and he said he had heard about me and then he asked if I would be interested in making a change to come to work for him. Well, I went down and had an interview with him, hired me on the spot, and that was really where my begin. After I told Robinsons that I was going to leave and they said, no, we can't let you leave because you've been more production than any designers ever worked for us. And, and I said, no, I've got to make a change. And so when I left Robinson's Beverly Hills and went to Cannell and Chafin, I brought in all my Beverly Hills clients, and then I also brought in a gay clientele. And so this was an old world Pasadena company. And so bringing in my clients from Beverly Hills was like a new adventure for them, and it was incredible. It changed the entire store, and they had 40 designers. I was one of 40. So that really put me on the top of the list because they had never had the showbiz clientele and the Beverly Hills Society. So that was new to them, and it was really something they loved. And I worked with them for six years, and then I decided it was time to go on my own. When, when you went on your own, were you able to take your celebrity as well as your regular, regular, right? Regular, not celebrity. It's like two different classes of people. Right. But when it comes to design and style, I, is it different or was it the same to you? You know what? Uh, when it came to, I was timed, I said, you know, I was making a lot of money for the store and we were on commission. And I said, you know, it's time that I go on my own. 
and I had my built up a really good clientele, and they would go with me wherever I was going to go. And uh, so I said it was time to leave, and I told them I was leaving, and that was a shock to them also, and they did not want me to leave. And but I decided, you know, I was making a fortune of money for for the company, and I thought it was time for me to go out and do my own thing. And it was hard; it was very tough in the beginning. But once you've got one great client, or two especially, uh, it gives you that incentive to go out and create for your own your own world. And you really have to work. I worked seven days a week in the beginning. I would take every job offer and meet with people and work. You know, I never turned down interviews, and it was very it was very profitable for me. Um, I was young, I was energetic, and I just had the world, especially West Hollywood and Beverly Hills. <clears throat> I didn't have a lot of competition in those days. You are listening to my chat with design icon Bernardo Puccio. We'll be back in a moment. For well over a year now, you have been hearing incredible conversations, interviews, and panels with amazing creative talent as part of our Wellness and Design Thought Leadership Series presented by Thermosol. It has been and continues to be an absolute joy working with the entire team at Thermosol from the top down. This multi-generational family business has been producing the gold standard in steam generators, saunas, steam showers, and steam shower accessories for decades. Thermosol is the original steam shower with technology that is state-of-the-art, made and manufactured in the United States. The company's history with steam showers started by David Altman in 1958. Murray Altman acquired Thermosol's steam bath division in 1989, and the company is now led by Mitch Altman from their world-class production facility in Round Rock, Texas. The most successful designers and architects are using steam showers to maximize wellness, relaxation, and enjoyment for their clients. Thermosol is a staunch advocate for the design trade, and I am so proud to have them as a presenting partner of Convo by Design and the Wellness and Design Thought Leadership Series. If not familiar with the entire range of Thermosol products, please check out thermosol.com. So now I think what, we're talking about the 70s? 70s, 80s, 90s, yeah. Well, but yeah, but late 70s into early 80s. Right. What was what was the <clears throat> LA design community like in the late 70s, early 80s? It was pretty fabulous. I mean, really, the building had just been built in the, you know, and uh, the blue building was the only building here at that time, and it was jumping. I'm telling you, um, it was really had restaurants, coffee shops, and. Uh, every major design company was here. It was just really an incredible. I would come in here and spend the entire day with my clients, shopping and putting everything together. They even had rooms that you could go in if you wanted to have a presentation with the client. So it was really another world. I hate to see it have changed so drastically, but the world of design has changed. It's so incredible that it's everyone wants to think they can do it themselves you know or they can call and get it on the internet and they can do everything to me not professionally um i still think the world needs designers and i think that people who have money should have a good designer he or she can help them put things together because it's very expensive today if you make a mistake 
costly mistake. So I always tell my clients, you know, if you've got a good decorator, designer, it's worth it because he or she can help you so much and in the long run, it's worth every penny. Outside of the Pacific Design Center, along the boulevard, La Cienega, uh, Robertson, <clears throat> Beverly, Melrose, where else were you? Where else were you shopping? What were some of the? Were there other? Were there resources for you outside of the design center and outside of the department stores? Absolutely. Uh, you know, you could go. Well, Melrose was very big. Robertson was the original. They're no longer there. There's now clothing stores. But Robertson um, was, and then Melrose, and then Beverly and La Cienega. There were all kinds of antique stores. Melrose Place was the road for antique shops and fantastic lighting. But uh, the, the design business has changed so drastically, as I said, that people have now, there is no longer the clientele or it's so small for the antique look or the old world look. You know, that was very big in the 60s and 70s and 80s. Uh, now it's gone extremely contemporary. <clears throat> As I look in the showroom, everything is so beautiful and so contemporary. It's really ultra contemporary, which I love. But every clientele doesn't want that. And unfortunately, of the younger group, the millenniums, this is what they want. So you just wrote a book, and it, it, it came out October 2019. Tell me about the book. Why now? What was the motivation for it? Well, to tell you the truth, the reason I wrote the book, it's called The 13 Pieces of Unmatched Luggage in My Poodle. Um, and the title was self-explanatory. That's how I left Birmingham, Alabama in 1968 to come to Beverly Hills to become the designer that I wanted to be. And I had a very incredible life in Alabama. I was involved with a very rich, I barely use that word, but very wealthy Texas man who adored me and gave me the world. We had our own airplane. We traveled with the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, the Bee Gees, everybody in the rock and roll business in the 60s. And then I had come out to Beverly Hills and I loved it, fell in love with it. So after he decided he wanted to move to Dallas, Texas, which was his original home, I decided I was leaving Birmingham, Alabama, him and everything to come here to be the person I wanted to be. So I picked up and left everything and just came here with the 13 pieces of unmatched luggage in my poodle. And the rest is history. 51 years in this one city. And let me tell you something, it's been paradise. But as I said earlier, I really, really worked. And I had set no goals. I, the sky was the limit to me. And I walked into corporate rooms and I met with CEOs and I was able to deal with these people like nobody's business because they wanted something so different. They didn't want the typical designer look and I created my own look and so that was how I became so successful. I had an original look that no one else could touch and I always stated and I still do be original in everything you do, especially in design, because uh, I never copied other people. I was able to do my own work, and that's what made me and put me on the map. And I created a look in the 70s that no other designer had ever done. It was the look of the black with mirrors and a lot of 
beautiful metal and um, silver grays. And so that was in the 70s when nobody else was even doing anything like that. And people from design, designers from New York were coming out to copy me, but they never really copied me exactly, and uh, thank God they didn't. So here's what I find really interesting about that. So you're in the in the 70s. You're 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 coming up with your your own look, your signature look, right? Right. How, how do you remember how you how you what the inspiration was, and then how you made it real? You know, it's really interesting. People will. Many people think that coming up with a new idea or a new concept or a new style is is easy. All you have to do is ideate it, and but that's not true. You still have to find products that fit into it. You have right. to be able to source them. You have to be able to get them delivered. And should something not go perfectly, which let's be honest, in interior design it doesn't always go perfectly. You're absolutely right. Someone to adjust, um, fix. Do you remember sort of? how you went through the process at the time and, and how you overcame some of, some of those obstacles? You know, I had many obstacles in my career um, because I always tried to do every job completely different. People could walk in and know Puccio did it, but every job had its different style because I tell a client, I design for you you and your husband or whoever you're with and I study their lifestyle and I study them and I always create and design for them because they're going to live there not me and so every job had its own style and personality but when I got into certain things that like you know and I didn't feel like it was correct I once did some breakfast room chairs for a client and she selected the fabric and she didn't like it and it was a very expensive fabric so she went away on a vacation she came back and the chairs were completely redone and she says bernardo what did you do i said well sylvia you didn't like the fabric that you selected and i wanted you to be totally happy i said i've never wanted a client to be unhappy with something i did and she said oh my god this is incredible but that's the kind of i gave my clients undivided attention because to me decorating and designing for a client is as personal other than your doctor as you can get. And so that's why I was so successful for 51 years in one city, never having a bankruptcy, never having a lawsuit, and it was just my undivided attention that I delivered to my clients and the personal attention that they loved and still do. Tell me about the celebrity clientele because I'm I'm enamored with the celebrity clientele in the early days of, I say in the early days, things be, growing up in LA, I'm a native Angelino, so I grew up in LA, really? in the 70s, 80s, and I remember when personality, it used to be, you know, you could walk by a celebrity on the street and people would sort of hush and I be know. quiet, but yeah. they never, I, you didn't have a phone you no. didn't, that took pictures, you didn't have a camera with you, it wasn't right. like you could put it, post it out to somebody You'd else. say it was, hello and that was it. Yeah, there was no currency associated no. with it, so it, it wasn't such a contact sport. The, n nowadays, the whole celebrity clientele, it's, it's wanting to be just like them, it's wanting to have what they have and do what they do, but at the time it wasn't necessarily like that, so I'm curious you're designing for your celebrity clientele would you would you bring them to the design center would you walk the design center with them how did you shop for them who were some of your favorites and you know could could designers still work with celebrities today the way that they did 
in the 70s, 80s, and early 90s? Yes, they can. Uh, I was so fortunate. The first client that I'm not, she wasn't really a client. She was a friend, was Londa Turner. Londa Turner became my best friend for eight years, and we had quite a relationship. I didn't really do a lot of decorating for Lana. Lana wasn't into design and decorating. She lived a very simple life, as I say in my book. And if you read the book, you'll find that a lot more out about her. But when I worked with, like, my first big client was Telly Sabellas, who was Kojacked in television. And I did two homes for he and his wife and children. And they were wonderful, wonderful people to work with. Um, she didn't really go out shopping. I sent everything to the house, and all the bills went to the business management. And I worked with them for years, and I got to know the whole family. But I really did not take her out shopping. When I worked with other clients in the movie business, I did take them to the design center. And it was kind of nice to be seen with them. And, but, you know, I learned that they were just other people just like myself. I, I was never infatuated or impressed by movie people. They're just people in another industry than I am. And they love the fact that I treated them like that. Because, you know, you can't put them on a pedestal because they're really not any different than we are. They just happen to be working in the studios. And I guess, you know, for me, I find it interesting. It's an, it's an interesting course of study because at the time, you know, you would have certain celebrity clientele who home was very personal home st still is still to many personal. people to many it's very personal yes um at the time you would have certain celebrities who whose homes would be covered in sunset or ad or you know one of the other trade pubs um nowadays because media is so pervasive it's it's everywhere it's ubiquitous right you can't get away from it. every every corner of someone's home is is shot in one yes. way or another and put online and then there becomes this competition to keep up not necessarily with the joneses but with the kardashians oh yeah you know what i mean i mean who would you like to keep up with the kardashians well you know? but here's the thing so you you worked with elizabeth taylor yeah that's oh, where okay. i was going okay so elizabeth taylor is the original kardashian well she is the original everything to me you know she was the epitome of to me everything hollywood and I have to go into the detail. In 1985, I came to my office, which was right here in West Hollywood, and my secretary said, you got a call from Elizabeth Taylor's office today. And I said, oh, my God, what was she be calling about? I had no idea. So when I returned the call, it was her secretary and said that Mrs. Taylor would like for you to create and design the first original AIDS benefit and I said, you've got to be kidding. So I said, how did she get to me? I never found out how she got to me. So I was very big in those days, and, and I was in every magazine and paper. And so I called back and said, yes, I would, of course, love to do it. And they said, we'll arrange a meeting with you, with her. And when I met with her, and Rock Hudson was dying in a hospital in Paris from AIDS, and no one wanted to put their name in celebrity to get involved with AIDS for research and Elizabeth Taylor did and she asked me if I would create and I said yes of course so I worked with her in doing six benefits we did one here at the Pacific Design Center which was very successful we raised millions and millions of dollars for AIDS research but this woman she wasn't into herself as much as uh, 
most of the people I worked with. She was into finding a cure for AIDS and raising all the millions of dollars that she did for research. She was more concerned about other people caring and loving, especially her gay friends. She adored gay men and women. And and Hudson, Hudson's death, his illness first and then his death hit her, hit her hard. Very hard was, because they were close. Yeah. Was that... Was that the primary impact that got her involved? I think it was. And because when she told me in a private conversation that she was turned down by so many people in the show business media and all of them, and every time she'd call and say, would you get involved with me in this organization? She says, no. They said, say, no, they didn't want to get involved. And she said, you know what? I was so upset by the friends of mine who turned me down. She said, I'm going to go ahead and give my name to this organization, and I'm going to get involved. Well, once she gave her name to it, and the, the organization put together this event that we had, we had so many people, we couldn't do it at the Century Plaza. I had to move it to the Bonaventure Hotel, 3,500 people. And it was a night like no night has ever been. We had every celebrity in the country there. And they all came out because of Elizabeth Taylor. And it was such a success. And we kept doing it and doing it. And still, she's got MFAR, and she's still raising money for AIDS. And she's dead, bless her heart. <laughs> you know? Yeah, well, and that's kind of where I was going with this. You know, having, having spoken to so many creators and creatives and creative types the legacy and um the thought around legacy right and what that legacy means and what they leave behind in many in many ways you as a designer the work is a legacy you can you can have the work in pages of a magazine you can have the work on video you can have you know this this interview will be will be part of that legacy but that's the work right for for elizabeth taylor you know she certainly didn't have to do that for for you at the time as a successful interior designer you didn't have to do that how did how did that impact you how did that change your course your well path? you know that's an interesting question because it changed me immensely it made me a better person and made me a more caring person. I didn't know anything about AIDS except that I knew that a lot of our friends were dropping dead and we didn't know what they were dying from. It was just during the late 70s and early 80s and I, we were all scared. All of a sudden it was called the gay cancer. Bernardo, seriously, that had to be terrifying. It was the most terrifying experience of my life. And I wasn't married. I wasn't involved with, the, you know, I was seeing someone. But I had not commit, committed to a monogamous relationship. And when all these people are just dropping dead and no, there was no reason for their death, you know, they didn't have a, a, a diagnosis for it. And so uh, you were terrified of it. And so that's when I say, and I say it in my book, that's when I decided it was time for me to settle down in a monogamous relationship because it were, the gays were being targeted as the gay cancer. And so I did settle down and probably it saved my life. I wouldn't be living to talk about this because I did settle down and 43 years we've been together and, and that's what's kept us together. 
But I'm telling you, it was a devastating situation. And if it hadn't been for Elizabeth Taylor, because Ronald Reagan was not doing anything in the political world about it, and Elizabeth got out there, and once she gave that first benefit, and I designed it, everybody pitched in to raise money for it. And they're still raising money for it, but they still don't have the cure. However, they have made tremendous progress in all kinds of medicines. And what's interesting, too, you know, that in particular affected the design industry with a greater impact than other industries. And it affected the lives. You know, we're, we're in West Hollywood today. And, you know, seeing what that, how the AIDS epidemic sort of impacted this this one area it certainly did it's just interesting to go back and look and see how that happened and and were it not for people like you and elizabeth taylor and others who said you know you know like like rock hudson rock hudson didn't want anyone to know no he was in total denial and he knew he had it and he didn't know what it was of course but uh he it wasn't until his death that people came out of the woodwork and said, we've got to figure out what's going on. And that first AIDS benefit when we had Matilda Krim, Dr. Matilda Krim, and Elizabeth Taylor and all these influential people give their name and put their money in it. That's how they started. And then after that, it got better and better. And you know, that was, I mean, 30 years, 35 years ago. So uh, it's only gotten better, thank God. But still, they haven't found a cure. And, but it was a terrible stigma for the gays in our, in our uh, society as designers, whether you were a fashion designer or interior designer or hairstylist or whatever. It, it really hit us big. And it set us back many years. Question. Do you, do you remember, did it, bring, did it bring the industry together? Did it, did it sort of tighten up the industry or was I it? I think so. I think it definitely did because we were all aware of the situation and we all were curious. What's going on? What can we do? And instead of everybody dividing, we sort of came together as a group and it helped. I'm telling you, it did help. People would come to our events and uh, when we had it here at the Pacific Design Center, it was packed with people and everybody gave their money and their time. It was just uh, it was just a great getting together to, to to help each other out because no one knew what was happening, and you didn't know if you were if you'd seen someone you, you know five years ago and all of a sudden now you're coming down with this AIDS epidemic. It was just something no one knew anything about. It's just it's it's so hard to fathom. But at the same time, you know, knowing the design trade that I do, the way I, the way that I do, and, and the individuals who make it up, you are all so industrious and so creative that if there was ever a group that was going to tackle a large problem like this, but what, what happened was, and what, what got interesting was, then it got broader, right? And then, you know, AIDS wasn't just about gay men anymore. No. Now it wasn't just about the industry anymore. Right. It wasn't just about creatives it or actors. Out. It spread out. And then once general population started suffering from this, then it sort of woke people up a little and bit. And then also when people realized, the general public realized that you couldn't get it from shaking hands or touching or just uh, even hugging someone, you know, because in the beginning you couldn't, they thought you were going to get it just from touching someone. 
Well, then they realized and they became more educated about it. And it, it, it got less and less a stigma. On. But um, to this day, you know, I think about it, how I got involved. And when, if it hadn't been for Elizabeth Taylor, I would not have gotten involved with it. And um, I'm glad I did. It made me, as I said earlier, a better person. With the few minutes we have left, I'm curious, what do you think about the design industry today? What do you think about the interior design space today? Is, is this an industry that, I, I guess let me back up a second. I, I'm, I consider myself fortunate to have you as a resource to talk to because what I've seen, I'm not a designer, I'm not an architect, I'm just a fan, right? And I, I consider myself as a journalist kind of a mirror you know, that shines a light back on the industry. Well, you've got a beautiful showroom, so this is a reflection on you. Well, thank you. At the same time, I'm curious, the design trade, where we go today, because it's so easy for clients to shop their designers, to, to check pricing on their designers, to go look for other resources, to, it's just so easy. You know, it's just amazing what's happened, and it's not for the better. Uh, when I was an interior designer and still am and still working, it was just paradise. You know I mean, every day was a new blessing to work with people and explore new adventures and create. Today, the designers, I feel so sorry for. I feel they don't have the possibilities of being successful as they should be and being able to create because everybody can go on the Internet and order and get stuff and, you know, and return it if they don't like it. But it's not the personal attention, as I said earlier. You've got to give the clients the personal attention that they want. Study those clients. Know exactly their lifestyle. They're going to live there, not you. And a good designer will really study them and, and give them everything they want. And I'm doing houses, nine and ten houses, for the same clients. Now I'm doing their children and their grandchildren. And because they want my personal attention. I always said I gave them more than 100%, and that's what they loved. And, and yeah, I was expensive. I was probably the most expensive designer at one point in the state. Uh, and as times got different and things changed, I began to lower my prices according to what the other designers were doing. At one time, I was 40% plus a design fee. That was unheard of in those days, but I could do it. And, uh, you know, I, I don't charge that anymore, but I was very fortunate to work with some of the greatest people, and they wanted to run around town and say, oh, Bernardo Puccio did our home, and brag about it. And so they said, you had Bernardo do your home? Oh, my God. Well, I want him to do my home. And that's how it was. Everything was word of mouth. I never did any advertising in my life. And then I was in a lot of magazines and, you know, publications. But... That was a different world then. The world today is so completely politically different and everything is different, especially the design world. They don't want that glamorous look that we used to create. They want a more simplistic, you know, minimalistic look and that's what the world is today. Yeah, but don't things have a way of changing or going back to the way they I were I hope before? so. I hope so. I hope it goes back to the beautiful, beautiful era when you could just design and decorate and magnificent wall coverings and draperies and paintings and gorgeous rugs and 
the beautiful, beautiful drama of, and see, I grew up in an era in the 40s and 50s when I would concentrate in the movies and I would, I would never listen to the dialogue, what was going on. I was looking at the sets and the, you know, the backgrounds and that's how I studied design is because it was so gorgeous in there. Were you ever tempted to become a set decorator or get into set design? I, I was asked a couple of times to do a couple of movies and set, and the hours were so horrible yeah. that that was not for me. A lot of my friends were set decorators. They were very successful, but they'd have to get up at four o'clock to be on the set at five and do all that. I, that was not me. I was, I was very happy doing homes and businesses and offices. And you know, I did all commercial and residential. I was. I always say that if I ever had to do it all over again, I would do it just the way I did. I was so blessed to have the most incredible clientele, and you know they were. I had a few that gave me carte blanche, but they always had. Even though they were very wealthy, they always had a budget. They always had something in their mind of what they wanted to spend. Of course, I always went over that. You know, the word budget doesn't exist in my vocabulary. <laughs> What's the, what was your rule of thumb? Did you, have a, did you have a number, like you'd always go X amount over the budget? Yeah. You know, I knew what I could get away with. And then the more I got away with, the more the more I'd do. You know, so I, I would, there again, you have to be like a psychologist. You've got to really concentrate and know your client. Uh, and I worked with most women, you know, I must say. The husbands really had a lot to do with it. Occasionally they did. But mostly, the women. I got along so great with the women. Being gay was a great attribute for me because the women adored me and I adored them. And we made a fun thing out of it. You know, it was going to lunch and coming to the design center and shop. And it was, you, you made a big fun day out of it. And uh, I don't see the designers today doing that. I don't see them taking their clients and becoming good friends and just showing them around the design centers and Melrose and all the, I don't see that as much. I think they, today they bring them things to the house or they show it on computer. It's a very impersonal look. My clients wanted to sit in the furniture and I insisted that they sat in everything they were ever gonna order because I didn't want to deliver something. They said, oh, this is terribly uncomfortable. Well, I said, you sat in it. You know, I, I insisted that they always set in the furniture. And I imagine that a return rate would go dramatically down. I never had a return rate. I only returned, redid those two, four chairs for that client, and that was my demand. But uh, I never had a return. No, one time a client bought a French armoire. It was an antique armoire from a showroom on Melrose, and she was a little crazy. And when she got it, she said, oh, I don't like it. I said, well, it's something you can't return. And so I took it back and put it in my showroom. But uh, that was the only thing I've ever returned in my entire show, 51 years of career in Beverly Hills. I love that. I yeah. love that. And I love this. Thank you for the time. Would you, would you ever write another book? What was the experience like? Would you do it again? It was probably the most difficult thing I have ever, ever done. And I must say, the reason I wrote the book is that, and I'm sure you're not aware of it, is it's a story of survival. It's a story of survival in many, many ways. And um, I had a liver condition uh, 30 years ago, and it started from hepatitis. And then after 30 years of excessive drinking and partying, 
and with the lifestyle that I had in Beverly Hills, it went into cirrhosis of the liver. And I was diagnosed 11 years ago uh, that if I didn't have a liver transplant, I would be dead in two months. And um, I told the doctor at that time, I said, you know, he was a very smart-ass doctor and sort of sarcastic. And I said, you have terrible bedside manners. And I said, if you send me a bill, I'll throw it in the garbage where you belong. And I walked out of his office, and I was pretty devastated getting a, confronted with that diagnosis. And I said to myself, Bernardo, you can drive your new Jaguar right off a cliff and end this entire mess or you can go to the bar and get completely drunk, or you could go and have the liver transplant and live a new life. And I, of course I chose the latter. And it's been 10 years in March uh, that I had the transplant. And it was the greatest thing I ever decided. It was the turning point in my life. And it made me a new person. And uh, you know, it, it, you're faced with the situation that used to life and to death, and I chose to live, and thank God I did, and that's why I wrote the book. That was the reason that anyone who was sick as I was, and I was in denial, I wasn't going to have the transplant, but I did at the last minute, and it saved my life, and here I am standing telling you the story. And, and that's the important part, wasn't it, is being able to, is being able to sort of backtrack. Was it, was it cathartic for you to, to backtrack and go, okay, here's how I got here? Here you know, writing a story about the liver transplant was the hardest thing of my life because I had blocked it all out. And I had to go back into the depth of that and write that chapter. It was the most, the most important chapter in the book, but it was the most difficult chapter to write because you, you block a lot out and you don't want to think about it. But it was probably the best chapter in the book, and it tells people who are sick as I was, whether it's cancer, AIDS, or whatever you have, uh, do what the doctors tell you. What do you have to lose? Life. And it's given me a new life, and it's made me a much stronger person. I wouldn't be doing interviews. I wouldn't have written the book. I wouldn't be out there fighting for AIDS. I wouldn't be doing a lot of the things that I do to help other people. You can't just think of yourself. You must not be so... And that's what I found with Lana Turner. She was a very selfish woman. She was just into herself. Elizabeth Taylor was the opposite. She was into other people and caring for other people. And she was a very humanitarian. That's just, I, I've never met anyone like her. Never will either. It's true, right? She was an incredible person and she loved life and she loved her gay friends. And she was, she was the best thing that ever happened to us. Let me tell you something. Bernardo, thank you for doing this. My pleasure. This is the greatest experience I've had in a long time. Thank you so much. So listen, wallpaper is having a moment, a well-deserved moment that is allowing designers to craft and create in new and amazing ways. Convo by Design has a new partner this year. This partnership includes participation in our Remote Design House Tulsa project, of which you will be hearing a lot about this year. I've been working closely with an exclusive group of partners, and I am absolutely thrilled to be working with York Wall Coverings. This company has been crafting exquisite wall coverings for over a century, with an archive that dates back to the early 18th century. This deeply rich history provides inspiration for the future, and the designs available through the York Wall Covering Studio have long been lauded for their authenticity and craftsmanship. 
This art, artistry and history combined with a commitment to continually reimagining the manufacturing process allows York Wall Coverings to provide a consistently exquisite product. For options and inspiration, find them online, yorkwallcoverings.com. You can also find their store locator tool online at yorkwallcoverings.com for a location near you. Thank you, Bernardo. I loved our time together, and I am so sorry it took so long to get this aired. Your story is absolutely amazing. Thank you, Thermosol, Article, York Wall Coverings, Franz Wigner, and Moya Living for your partnership and support. You are remarkable partners to the trade, and it is so greatly appreciated. And thank you for listening and subscribing to the podcast. I know you already know this, but there are literally hundreds of podcast episodes from past Convo by Design that that you probably haven't heard, especially if you are new to the show. So go check them out. And remember why you do what you do, and that the business of design is about making better the lives of those we serve. Until next week, be well, and take today first. Mm-hmm.